Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Now today is a day for many, well beyond the enclosure of the church and beyond the family of faith of Christianity to confront and to mourn the remembrance of a day when hatred was given a powerful vehicle to cause pain and suffering. And on September 11th, it was a day when so many lost their lives, so many lost their loved ones, and people continue to mourn that even today. But it is also a day when we recognize that there are others who are mourning many things. It's a day when we realize that there are some for whom this still, to this day, remains so raw and tragic that they cannot be here in remembrance for very long. And so we thought it would be a wonderful day to explore the healthy ways in order to mourn. For every single person mourns. Maybe we're mourning one that we lost, a loved one who has died. Maybe we are mourning the loss of a relationship that has come to an end. We could be mourning the loss of a beloved pet, the loss of our security, our safety, our finances, our home, the loss of our health, physically or mentally. There are many, many things that we could be mourning, and every single human being will mourn. Now, the scriptures go on beyond what I read for you, And it continues at verse 22 with, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. As we sang earlier the hymn, There is a balm in Gilead, a lot of us kind of sing it without even thinking about what it's referring to. And of course, Gilead was the region of the promised land from which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would come. The great physician embodied in humanity. And so today, we're going to explore some of the ways our God would have us mourn. Now, mourning and grieving often go together, but they are not synonymous. Grief is the internal emotions that we feel. It is the sorrow that we feel when we have lost something or when we are suffering. But mourning is the external variation of that. It is what we are showing, what we are doing, how we are existing in the world, our very presence. And throughout the years in the United States, there have been established ways to mourn. And for some people, that's enough. It's sufficient, it is working, and so they are done. But for a lot of us, that doesn't quite work. Oftentimes, a loved one passes away, And then we are in the midst of the busyness of trying to prepare for a funeral or, as we say in the church, a service of death and resurrection. And that can come as early as three days later after our loved one has died. And then there is the incredible speed with which that happens. A funeral doesn't take very long. And then often there's an interment in a graveyard. And then before you know it, everyone has gone home. But those who are mourning are left with their grief. What are they to do with it? 
Now, there was a time around the Civil War when it was simple. You would wear your black for a stated period of time, and then you would take it off and go about your life again. But the black was a signal to everyone else that you were in a period of mourning. But mourning can last a lifetime. And why is that? Why is it that it is actually the reality of our lives that we will mourn throughout the duration of them? Mourning is the expression of the grief that we feel when we have lost someone or something that is so precious, that has been so beloved, something that has blessed us richly, so that when it is gone or when they have died, nothing will ever take that place. That is something that is truly a glorious realization, that someone was so precious to you that they have left a void because of how blessed you were to have them and to be with them. But the world is not comfortable with grief. The world will tolerate a certain amount of mourning, and then it moves on. You'll notice that. It's like we've gotten to a pattern now where the world is like, okay, we can mourn for a day on September 11th for thousands and thousands of people who died, and then tomorrow will be Monday, and everybody needs to move on until next year, and then you can have another day. But this is not reality. So as I was researching and looking to see what are healthy ways to mourn, I can tell you right now that nobody agrees. Nobody agrees. In fact, I was researching on a page of a very well-respected medical group. And as I was on their page, they began with this. The number one thing in, health, in healthy mourning is to realize the finality of your loss. Makes you feel real warm and fuzzy. But here's the problem. Because immediately as I read that, I thought, well, if I'm mourning a person, death is not the end. It is not final. There will be a day when they are restored, and I am restored to them. We are restored together and to each other and to others. And so death is not final. Which led me to stop paying attention to that source and go find somebody else. But what you discover is that everybody has a different idea. And one could become very disillusioned with this and go, well, obviously, nobody's got the right answer. Maybe that's the point. There is no real right answer. That what is right for me in a healthy way of mourning may not be right or comfortable for another. And what they do might not make me feel really great. But our discomfort at the mourning of others is really a bigger statement about ourselves than it is the health of their practice. And that's hard to remember when you are discomforted. That maybe it's actually not about them at all. Maybe you haven't figured out how to healthily mourn. And so today, we have heard the prophet Jeremiah mourn for his people. For God's people, the people of Israel, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. And if you've ever mourned a human being or a beloved pet, then you know that all of those seem true. That you have been robbed of your joy, your grief is consuming you from the inside, and it's like your heart is sick. What do you do? You can hear the cry far and wide in the land. 
And so Jeremiah recognized that the mourning that was happening within Israel over the brokenness of God's people and their relationship with God was continuing to fester and cause sorrow. And Jeremiah's answer was to recognize it, to claim it. But how often have we seen people in our country, in our world, in our time be told, it's been long enough, get over it. I'm tired of listening to this over and over and over again. You need to move on. That is not the response of the scriptures. In fact, the scriptures record repeatedly different variations of people mourning. There's an entire book called Lamentations. The people of God lamenting, crying out, and mourning their brokenness, their impoverishment, their in utter dejection at being abandoned as they feel. Now, whether or not that was all completely accurate, in their eyes, from their perspective, that was true. And most of us, if we had been the editor-in-chief of the scriptures, would have gone, that's not good for business. Let's get that book out. But God, in infinite wisdom, said, there is a time to lament. It has a place not only in the scriptures, but in God's people. It is not wrong to mourn. And here we are, thousands of years later, still reading the mourning of God's people, God's prophets. Ultimately, the Bible will, will record time after time different ways that people mourn. For instance, on Easter, especially at sunrise services, we are reading how the women were going to mourn Jesus. They were so overcome with grief. They had stayed. They had witnessed the crucifixion for themselves. They had loved him. They had served him. They had brought him food. They had cleaned his clothes. They had given him care. And now he was dead. And their way of mourning was to honor him one final time. To clean his body. To anoint it with those precious oils. And then to wrap him and swaddle his body and place him back in the tomb for what they thought was forever. That was their way of mourning. The apostles were mourning in their own way. They were mourning to the point that they were fearful and hiding. They had not figured out how to manifest their grief, and so they were terrified to go and do anything. And yet those who had found a way to grieve and to seek to honor Jesus in their grief and in their methodology of mourning, they were rewarded with the experience that he was alive. The Bible is telling us that there is no single right way. But if you are going to experience grief, which we all will, if you are going to try to mourn in a healthy way, a community is going to help. And we're really good at community on days of funerals. We're really good at that. You know, people will host receptions for you. People will take care of all the details for you. They will drive you places. They will take care of it. But it's in the days, the months, and the years after that community is still so vital. You can't have community just on that day and then expect someone who is devastated by loss to simply snap back. And the church does not. 
The church is a living, breathing organism called the body of Christ. And this organism will only help and be functional in the morning of individuals and collectively if we do three things here. If we choose to be an authentic community, then we will value and embrace and perpetuate honesty, vulnerability, and faith. Those three things are what makes an authentic community. And if you've ever had a relationship with a human being where you could be radically honest, radically vulnerable, and yet still be true to your faith, then you know that it actually empowers you. It gives you the strength and the authority and the will to move forward into healthy mourning. Not mourning at all is widely agreed upon not to be healthy. But when we start to place our own expectations on how another person should mourn, that's when we start to get into trouble. The Bible records this as well. In the story of King David, there comes a time where he had had an inappropriate, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And in order to cover that up, he wanted to murder her husband. And he succeeded. And so Bathsheba was pregnant. And God had let David know that this child was not going to survive. And David, even in utero, loved this child. And so he went to the temple and he fasted and he mourned and he wouldn't eat and he wouldn't shower. He wouldn't attend to himself. All he did was bask in the presence of God in the temple and pray and plead and petition. And the servants became worried at his physical state, at his mental state, and they started to worry that if the child dies, what will happen to him? And then the horrible day came where the child died. And much to their utter shock, David got up, he showered, he sat down at the table and ate, and he started to go back to being the king. And the servants were completely discombobulated and they were saying to each other, How, what is going on? How can he mourn the child while the child's alive and now the child is dead and he's not mourning? And David said, I was hoping that my expression of my grief might change God's heart, might compel the Lord to save the child. But that did not happen. And David had other children that he needed to attend to. David had spouses with whom he needed to attend. David had a kingdom and a people to whom he needed to attend. And he, in his own way, believed that the care that he would give to others would help him in his mourning process. And yet, right there, his own servants thought that he was wrong. Who are we to decide whether or not it is wrong for another person? Maybe you have seen people who are mourning the loss of a spouse or a child, and they will do things that feel uncomfortable for the rest of us. But if we are truly an authentic community that is focused upon being honest, vulnerable, and one of faith, then we have to realize that discomfort is part of our existence. 
If you're ever going to be with another human being, you are going to discover discomfort. It is part of community. And so here in the body of Christ, we are called to recognize that sometimes we will endure our own discomfort for the sake of another. That is the very sacrifice that is embodied in the, in the cross. And as we explore this together, what we find is that sometimes something that was completely unappealing or even off-putting to us in the beginning, you start to realize how functional it is. So here are some of the healthy things that you might be able to do to mourn. One is to be honest about anniversaries. Anniversaries of loss, death, tragedy. And to prepare yourself for that. Don't pretend like it's not going to hurt. Don't pretend like it doesn't matter if it does. And if you have already cultivated relationships or have cultivated a community, then that's a time to say, you know, this is a really hard day. And sometimes in your grief, you may want to withdraw. Or sometimes in your grief, you may want to enter further in. Both of those are acceptable. Some people are fine just giving all of that grief privately over to God. And it is functional, and it works for them. It is cathartic. And God love you if that's you. That is not me. Even though I have a very close relationship with God, when it comes to expressing my grief or my struggles or my negative emotions, I need a human being present with me. I need to see on your face whether or not you understand what I'm doing and going through. I need to see that presence there reminding me that I am not alone. Others may feel this way too. But the glory of the community is that we have chosen our discomfort for the glory of God. We have chosen to be present with somebody that is going through something even if we can't understand it. And the church is built around recognizing that we will never have our grief completely eradicated. It will always be with us until the day when Christ returns and all of those that have gone before us are resurrected and we enter into a kingdom where God swears to us and promises there is no sin, there is no sickness, no mourning and no death. Amen. And if you're mourning right now, then isn't that the promise you cling to? But here we are on this day. And this is not, this, for me personally, I would love to move past this day. September 11th is very hard for me. I can remember the agony of five hours of not knowing where my father was. And the plane went into the side of the building where my father worked. The nose of the plane passed through his newly renovated office. And I remember being there with my mother, who was beyond distraught, as we're continuing to be bombarded by the images and the sights and the sounds of the chaos that was happening in New York City at Ground Zero. And it's still traumatic to this day. But even more than that, every year when this day comes, I am reminded of the trauma that others are facing. Because while my family was centered in Northern Virginia, while my life was very much focused on what was happening at the Pentagon, my first husband and the father of my child is from New York City. And one of his most beloved uncles 
was a detective in the New York Police Department. And Detective Joseph Cavatolo was a very large man with a big heart. And at the time, he was serving as kind of the, the security force for Rudy Giuliani. And when September 11th happened, Mayor Giuliani went right to ground zero, and Joseph Cavatolo went with him. And there, he went to work. He immediately started pulling people from the rubble. He breathed in the dust. He was covered in head to toe in all of that debris. And he didn't stop because that's who he was. He just kept working, trying to save people because that's who he understood himself to be. And he didn't die when the towers collapsed. He didn't die immediately. But all of what he was breathing in and being exposed to that day were already at work to be his destruction. And a few years later, he would die of the 9-11 cancer. And now his name, like so many, is engraved on the memorial there. And it's not enough that someone that I loved is now dead. The trauma continues because he had three children who weren't adults yet. And they have grown up without him. And every year when this happens, I see their Facebook posts and I see their pain and their articulations and their loss and their yearning. And it's raw all over again. And it's truly sad. And all of them have chosen different ways of mourning. Every single one mourns him differently. But I'll tell you, Part of mourning is figuring out the legacy of the, of the one that you have lost. What will their legacy be? And for every single person that died on 9-11, or those that because of exposure or injuries died afterwards, their legacy is not their death. Their legacy is their life, their love, the relationships that they had. That is our legacy. And to honor the legacy of Joey Cavatolo, one of his sons has become a police officer in the NYPD. And that son was recently awarded his shield. And his shield contains the same number of his father's. And while Joseph's shield was gold because he was a detective, Vincent's is silver. But one day, as he continues to honor and live out his father's legacy of selflessness and service, I suspect that one day he will wear the same badge number and the same badge color as his father. That is how he honors his dad. And there are others who honor their loved ones by keeping their memory alive. There are those that honor their loved ones through establishing grants and foundations and doing work. But we can help people mourn when we let them know that we have not forgotten their loved one. When we let them know that the legacy lives on and it won't die with them either. Every time we come into the church, I can sit here and look out at places and see the people who are gone. 
I can see Myra Swan, who used to sit over here. I can see Junior and Betty Jane Kent, who used to sit right there. I can see Doris Davis, Dee Dee, who sat right over there. And I cannot ever come into this sanctuary and not see J.R. Sanders in the, in the narthex. And I tell their loved ones that. I often find myself on Sunday morning standing right by the pew where Dee Dee sat. Because she would get here early for 11 o'clock and I would stand there and talk to her and she would evaluate my shoes. Her legacy is still here. And if the world is telling her family to move on, the church does not. The church recognizes this every single first Sunday of November. Our liturgical holiday that day is called All Saints Day. And all over the world, churches and Christianity are remembering those they have lost. And churches do this differently. I've been in churches that ring their bells. I have been in churches that light a candle. I have been in churches that place flowers on the altar. I have been in churches that do the roll call. I have seen all these different things, and none of them are wrong. None of them are wrong. If your way of outwardly mourning helps you to cope with your grief, then may we as the authentic community of the body of Christ embrace it and uphold you. That is our duty. Our duty is not to understand all things. Our duty is not to make sure that everything meets our expectations and rises to our understanding of how things should be. If it helps you, then we should be on board. That's the difference in the church. The church is not to tell you how to mourn. The church is to help you as you mourn. And so maybe you need to find other people who are mourning to be that place for you. Support groups or small groups within the church that recognize that they have lost something so profound that they will never be the same. But if we tell people that they can't mourn and we tell people to get over it and move on, what they do is they keep it inside and it eats them alive. And they became husks of the person that they were before the tragedy. We can't allow that to happen in the body of Christ. We are called to be a place where we remind people who are hurt, who are filled with sorrow, who are mourning, who are angry, who are experiencing all those negative emotions that God in infinite wisdom bestowed upon us, the most complicated of his creation. And we allow them the holy space to do that. And if every single day we choose to be a body of Christ that is authentic, then when we feel ourselves wanting to say, I don't want to know all of that, we will pull back and make space for honesty. If we find ourselves at the place where we think, this is too uncomfortable what you're sharing, then we will remember that there is only authentic community where there is vulnerability. And last but never least is faith. Faith that we can get through this. There is a person who's a part of our family of faith who regularly watches us because they no longer live in Crozet. And they have lost their child. 
And I remember a conversation they were having one time talking about people tell me that I should move on because I have another child. But I always have this child. I may not see them, but they are always here. And now, temporarily, that child rests in God. Like our beloved JR, our beloved Myra, our beloved Kents and Didi. They rest in God. And if we find a way to honor them, to remember them, to mourn them, then that is truly holy. That is what God is empowering us to do. So yes, Christians can be sad. Christians can be angry. You can even lay all that on God. God is big enough and strong enough to take it. And maybe that's what you need to do, is give it to God. And then God, over time, helps us to learn how to carry that burden upheld with the hope and the promise of the resurrection. So while many mourn this day, and while all of us throughout the course of our lives will mourn, know this, know this, that your grief does not make you less. Your grief does not make you deficient. Your grief means that like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you knew great love. And you know how valuable life and those that you live with are. And that is a great testimony to why it is important for us to believe in the resurrection and to believe that there is one who can overcome both our sin and our death. May you find hope here in an authentic community where your honesty, vulnerability, and our faith are the three most important things to helping you find a safe place to be, to live, to mourn for all time. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.